Good morning, Harvest. So good to be with you this morning. I was uh, here seven years ago around this time, just before we planted our church and did such a great job. Todd never invited me back. <laughs> Kidding. Got so tied up with church planting that uh, we just couldn't make it back. But so glad to be back here uh, with you. We've been tracking with you as you have, uh, uh, God's given you this facility. We've been praying for you and celebrating with you from a distance. And so it's good to be here and actually see all that God has done at Harvest Berry. Isn't it amazing to see what God has done here? Also, just want to share that I just have grown to know and appreciate your pastor. I know you know you're blessed to have your pastor, uh, but he's been such an encouragement and support to my wife and I through the whole church planting process. And now as we move from a baby church to a teenager church, he's the one guy that I kind of go to uh, for advice. And so really honored to fill the pulpit uh, for Todd today and praying that you'll be blessed uh, by the word of God. Uh, so why don't we turn over to uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 5 this morning. We're just going to focus uh, on one verse. 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 5. You don't have scriptures? Do your ushers come and give you Bibles in your church? No? You just all bring your Bibles? That's fantastic. Our church, we have to supply them to people who don't bring them. So get in your Bibles and let me hear the pages turn. First uh, Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 5. Uh, this morning, God has really laid upon uh, my heart uh, one theme to share with you. And I'm not sharing this with you because you need to hear it. I'm sharing this with you because I need to hear this over and over and over again in my own life. And here's the word. It is humility. Humility. This idea of being humble before God and others. Honestly, I grew up in the church. I was a pastor's kid. I was in church uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Wednesday night, Friday night, and any time in between that the church was open, we were there. And I don't ever recall hearing about humility growing up. Maybe it's because I was too proud to hear, too self-consumed to hear. But I don't recall. I remember hearing you got to love God and you have to... Do your best to do what's right. But this idea of humility, never heard it. Last few years in the church, though, it seems to be the word of resurgence, almost like the catchphrase. Everywhere you look, it's humble this and humble that. You tweet something that has something to do with some success and you feel obligated to put hashtag humble, right? Even if you're not, you feel obligated because the church is watching and this idea of humility is so prominent. One side, you have those in the church that are almost like the humble police. They're ready to like beat you with the stick. Like, you humble, you humble, you humble. Other side, you have those who are like, get humility out of here. It's not that important. It's just one of those minor things that's an add-on. And you have people in between that I have no idea what humility is about and why it's important. And so this morning, we're just going to catch up on what's the big idea with humility. And it's an important concept for you and I as believers both the Old and New Testaments highlight this idea of humility. It's a vital distinctive of the Christian life and the church, and that's the theme of 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Let me read it for you, and then we're just going to pray and dive right in. Look what it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. This is the word of the Lord to you this morning. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, verse 6, that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humility. So crucial it is for your life and your relationship with God and your relationship to other believers that John MacArthur calls this the fundamental attitude of the Christian mind. There's absolutely no such thing in the Bible as a cocky Christian. John Chrysostom, one of the early church forefathers, said this about humility. Humility is the root, the mother, the nurse, the foundation, and the bond of all virtue. Here's the reality. When you become saved in Jesus Christ, when you fall on your face and repent of your sins and commit to following Jesus, Jesus does a whole radical transformation on your life. He, he takes the old self and he takes it out, the heart of stone, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh and gives you a whole new way of operating, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of seeing the world. It's, it's not that God just kind of cleans you up a little bit. It's like when you take your PC to the computer shop because it's full of viruses, it doesn't function anymore. You take it in, the, the, the tech looks at it, it's like, hey, this, this thing's so messed up, you don't need a minor tune-up, you need a whole new thing. And he sends you home with a Mac. <laughs> whole new operating system. That's what God does to us when we accept Jesus Christ. And one of the things he pre-programs our new operating system with is not just a desire to love God, but the characteristics of Christ, of which humility is a primary feature of the new you. Humility is vital, and so we as believers need humility. We don't just want a little bit more humility, we come to the Lord daily and say, oh God, give me, grant me humility that I might operate the way you intended. This is where life and the power of the Lord are found. And so as we dig in this morning, I want to pray. I don't just want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. I want to pray that God will help us, help me communicate this in a way that you see this and and. Not that you have to embrace this, that you want to embrace humility within your life. It's of God for you and I today. So let me bow and let me pray. I can't preach honestly in my own strength. I can't communicate this in a way that's going to help you grow apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? So let me pray that God would use this mightily in all of our lives. Father, we want to stop this morning before... We get into your scriptures and just tell you we love you. God, we thank you for the way that you have revealed the glory of the living God to us. We thank you for the way that you've saved us and transformed us. We know it's not by any merit of our own. We know it's only by the goodness and the grace of our God. Fathers, we open up your word this morning. Our desires is not that we just come and be entertained. Our desire is not that we come and hear a nice little message and go home. Our desire is to further know you and further be transformed from one degree of glory to another into the image of our Savior. This, O oh God, is where life is found. This is where you are found. And so as we open up your word, God, open up our minds and open up our hearts to see your plan for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thing you can write down. Humility must be one of my top priorities. Humility must be one of my top priorities. If you uh, study the scriptures, you have to understand everything in context. Here's the context of 1 Peter chapter 5. This whole section is about submission. 
Elders are to lead with all diligence under God's authority and guidance. Likewise, the church is supposed to submit to the elders. He points out the young here, uh, probably because the younger seem to have a harder time with authority than the older, although I know some older people that are pretty stubborn in their own ways. But he's reminding us, hey, this thing as a church is not an individualistic mindset. It's not an individualistic thing we do. It's, it's together as elders humble themselves before the Lord and seek his guidance and his wisdom. Congregation, as you humble yourselves before the elders and follow God's leading in their lives. It's this idea that it's, it's a group effort and it's a big circle we get around. Jesus is the middle and we want to honor him. We want to glorify him. And that only happens as we work together for the purposes of God. Take humility out of the leader and you've got a dictating tyrant. Take humility out of the follower, you've got an insubordinate rebel. And so God reminds us if we're going to truly glorify him, we need to get on his page. We just seek him first above all else. And Peter clarifies who's this, who this is for. Clothe yourselves. Look what it says. All of you. I'm going to start with the all of you because it's so important. So often we come into sermons, right? And we think, okay, this is for somebody else because I already got this figured out. This is for the person next to me. Who's this for according to the passage? This is for all of us. What's that mean here? Who's it for? Put your hand up if it's for you today. Yeah, all of us, right? Doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or mature in the faith. Doesn't matter if you're a leader in the church or a behind-the-scenes servant. Doesn't matter if you have a uber gifting or maybe not so much. Humility isn't like a, you know, leaders get a double portion of humble pie and everyone gets to watch them suck it back and slaughter it down. This is for absolutely all of us, and this is so vital for not just your life, but the church. But the church. Look what he says about humility. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. I'm to cover my heart in humility daily. You and I are called by God to cover our hearts in humility daily. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves in humility. Just like this morning, I hope, don't put your hand up if this is you, but I hope none of you woke up this morning and asked yourself this question, should I get dressed today? Usually we wake up and what do we think? It's a new day. I better get to the wardrobe and get dressed. How do you choose what you're going to wear for the day? By according to what you're going to do. Some of you dress more, dress up for church. If you're going to a wedding, you dress up appropriately for the wedding. If you're going to play soccer, you dress for soccer. Here's the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. When we accept Christ, he's given our wardrobe a whole new set of robes of righteousness, not for our bodies, though, but for our souls. And so up until the point of you accepting Jesus, you've been walking around in the rags of the Saturday weekend rags within your heart, the sinful tendencies of your heart, and you accept Jesus. Hey, I got a whole new wardrobe for you. And so every day when you wake up, you're looking in your closet, and the choice is not, am I going to put something on? It's, what am I going to wear today? Am I going to wear the, the old rags of the sinful flesh, or am I going to wear the new robes of righteousness that Christ has given me, one of them being the garment of humility? So it's a choice, and God's telling us here, it's a choice that you need to every day put on. It's the hardest garment, I think, of righteousness to put on, isn't it? 
We get it, right? Fruit of the Spirit, let me put on love and let me put on peace. Humility, well, maybe I'll leave that one in the closet for today. That's pretty hard. It's going to cramp my style a little bit. And yet, if we look at the scriptures, humility is actually the undergarment that all the other garments fit over when it comes to our spiritual souls in Jesus Christ. You miss it. You miss everything. Like a private school uniform quickly identifies where you belong, so the spiritual uniform of the heart identifies you as Jesus Christ. And humility is part of what God has granted you and gifted you to put on every day. This is what God tells us in Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man or woman, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So God requires of you to walk humbly with God. And there's this mindset, I think, that if we're walking humbly with God, nobody else matters. That's not the way God's ordained it. You can't get under God and power over people. When we submit to God as believers, we submit to him, we submit to the authorities over me, we submit to others around me, ensuring that nobody is beneath me. That's what it means to clothe yourselves in humility. You humble yourself before God. You submit to the leaders around you. You submit to those, the leaders over you, submit to those around you, and you ensure that nobody is beneath you. True humility, I think we misdefine this a lot in the church. The word for humility here means a lowliness of mind or self-abasement. A lowliness of mind or self-abasement. Not this idea that, oh man, I stink, everyone's better than I am. That's not it. It's ensuring that God is number one and I keep on an even plane with everybody else. It describes the attitude of one who willingly serves even the lowliest of tasks. True humility isn't just saying, well, I'm humble today, and I'm humble, I'm more humble than you are. It's actually determined by not what comes out of your mouth, but by the attitude of our hearts, even to perform the lowliest of tasks. You want to know if you're really humble? Somebody says, who's going to take out the garbage? And you're the one, first one to have your hands shoot up in the air. Has that ever happened in your house? <laughs> Doesn't happen in my house. When the upstairs toilet needs to be cleaned, and you're fighting over who's going to do it. Again, never happened in my house. But that's what God's telling us what it is to be truly humble. To recognize who he is and to recognize where we stand with others around us. Doesn't sound too glamorous, does it? But how the Christian life was supposed to elevate me and I, I now have this new prominence. That's actually not the Christian life at all. The Christian life is I get low before God and others. To clarify, this wasn't a popular message in the day that Peter wrote this either. Humility was not an admired feat in the first century pagan world. Just like today, no one then was like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Oh, you know what I want to be? I want to be more humble. 
Actually, humility was only acceptable if you were a servant and you were fulfilling your role in a subservient place. And so just as hard as it is to chew on in our culture, it was countercultural back in Jesus' day too. Sign of weakness. Doesn't our culture say it's a sign of weakness? But yeah, think about this. Think about this. Only the strong can truly be humble. Anybody can be arrogant, right? Only the strong, those who infuse with the Holy Spirit, walking the strength of God, can be truly humble. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward who? Toward one another. Before we go further, I just want to clarify for you, this is not God calling you to do something that he is not already himself. It's not God saying, oh, I got all the power and all the glory and all the authority, so you get humble down there. God is actually calling us to, to walk in the ways of himself. God is already humble. God is a humble God. Do you know that about God? But I thought he was on the throne. I thought he demands we worship and praise him. Yes, he deserves our worship and praise, but that's not a sign of arrogance. Psalm 113 and Psalm 138 tell us that God is actually a humble God. He is the CEO of the universe, and yet as he sits governing the whole world, he's humble enough to look down upon those in the helpless state. Who's that? Oh, that'd be me and you, you and I. And he's willing to send his very own son, Jesus Christ, to, to come and, and scoop us up and rescue us from our helpless estate. That is a humble king, not an arrogant king. Think about it in our culture. Those who are proud, who have all the pomp and position, what do they usually do when they see somebody hurting on the street? They walk by like, I don't, I don't have time for that. They don't deserve my attention. That's not God at all. God is a caring God, a loving God. God is willing to stoop from the heavens to grab us and rescue us and bring us to himself. To be humble is to walk in the ways of the Lord. To be humble is actually to follow Jesus Christ's example. What's the ultimate act of humility in the world? The Bible tells us what it is. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even Obedient to the point of death. Ultimately, when we think about being humble, it's not a hard chore because we look at God and we look at Jesus Christ and we're like, wow, look how humble God is. Look how humble his son is. Think about the humility of Jesus. He left paradise and came to earth on God's rescue mission. He deserves a castle. He was born in a stable or a manger. We should have been rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. And yet he was willing to shed his crimson blood on behalf of you and I. Humility is actually emulating God through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a try harder sermon. It's not a you need to pound out more humility. This is a, like see God, get under Christ. Sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? Humility. 
Sounds like a tall order, but understand this about humility. Uh, all I'm trying to do here is help you understand the text. I'll focus on this word humility. Understand this about humility. If you think this is like a good idea for somebody else and not you, humility is the only way to the cross. There's no room for proud at the cross. None of us have done anything to deserve Jesus Christ. To accept Christ, you truly have to be humble and admit that you're a sinner. How many people do you know that intellectually believe that yes, Jesus was the Christ and yes, he came to save sinners, but yet they're unwilling to admit this, that I'm one of them. Why? Because humility is key to salvation. So many people are like my youngest son. You saw our family up there. We have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old and a terrible two-year-old. <laughs> Nothing like brand new baby at 40 years old to catch you off guard, amen? <laughs> and that little guy got double portion of my wife's stubbornness and my stubbornness combined, and we're both pretty stubborn. So we discipline that little guy. We try and put him on the stairs and, and we can sit him down. As soon as you sit him down, what does he do? He stands right back up. You almost have to force him down and hold him there and say, son, you got to admit now you're wrong. You messed up. You, know, you got to ask for forgiveness. You know what he says to us nine times out of 10? I can't. Yes, you can, Nick. You just, just try it. Say, sorry. Can't do it. <laughs> How many people do you know like that when it comes to Jesus Christ? <laughs> How many times is your heart even like that when it comes to Jesus Christ? Humility is the only path to God, we have to admit that we're sinners. We have to admit that there's somebody greater than we are that's the only one that can save us. We have to take the crown off our own hearts, our own lives, and we have to put it on the crown and crown Jesus as king of our lives. And so many people think that coming to Christ is a one-time bow, then you get up and you go on your merry way. That's not it. Coming to Christ is a bow and I stay low before God for all of my days. You know the pastor that talks about narrow is the way and wide is the gate. I used to always think narrow is the way you had to get like suck your gut in and like. Here's what I've come to understand salvation. Narrow is the gate. The narrow gate kind of opens like a dog hatchet, opens this way. You have to get on your face and crawl through to truly acknowledge the saving grace of Jesus. Before you think this humility message for somebody else, it's not, it's for believers. This is the only path to Christ. It's actually the only path to greatness in God's eyes as well. Want to be great in God's eyes? Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 27 tell us it actually doesn't come with becoming the greatest. It comes with becoming the least. Think of Moses. He's in the hall of fame and Hebrews chapter 11, and look what it says about him in Numbers chapter 12. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. Who does Jesus say is the greatest person in the Bible? It's not even Moses, John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, 11, Jesus says the greatest man ever born of woman is John the Baptist. You know what John the Baptist's motto was in John 3? He must increase, I must 
You got it. John chapter 3, verse 30. Easy to define humility, isn't it? It's easy to, to get the concept. But what about letting humility define you? What about letting humility define our lives instead of just being able to come up with a definition of what it is? According to 1 Peter 5, verse 5, my life ought to be marked by humility in every relationship. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Who's the one another? It's all of us. Do you realize that 15% of the one another's in the New Testament revolve around this idea of being humble towards each other? It's not a small deal. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, Jesus tells us, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. As Christ followers, here's our mandate. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Again, people come to understand humility as, oh, I stink and I'm no good. Not to let people take advantage of me and say all the right things. That's not humility. It's actually a high view of God and a proper view of yourself and everybody else around you. God comes first, others come second, I come third. Can you imagine what the church would be like if every one of us strive for humility on a daily basis? profound impact on the world. So rare is humility that I had a hard time actually finding a sermon illustration that accurately depicts humility. Best one I found was about a man named uh, Booker T. Washington many years ago who was a, a renowned black educator. And shortly after he took over the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, pretty prestigious position, he was taking his lunch break and walking around one of the affluent neighborhoods in Alabama. Remember back when the, the, the race thing was pretty prominent, black and white? We, we don't know the full extent of that in Canada. They still deal with those things in America. But he was walking around one of these affluent neighborhoods and just taking an afternoon stroll. And he's walking by this one house. This really affluent woman comes running out of her house and she's like, hey, young boy, hey, young boy, can you come and chop some wood for me? Having no clue who he was. Washington's response was, sure, ma'am. I've got nothing pressing at the time, thinking in his head like I've been sitting in my office all day, I can use some exercise. For the next half hour on his lunch break, he proceeded to chop this woman's wood and bring it into her house uh, to take the nickel she gave him on the way out the door. Only to find as he was leaving, the, the, one of the young girls that was at the house uh, grabbed the woman and said, do you realize who that just was? That was the president of Tuskegee University. Mortified, the woman 
didn't have to do with herself. The next day, she went and apologized profusely and, and actually rallied up all of her friends, as the story goes, to give a big donation to the university just to, because the character of the man was so strong who was leading the institution. Amazing story, isn't it? How many of us would have the same attitude in Barrie, Ontario, Niagara in 2018? You know, our attitude is like, who do you think you are? Let me tell you who I am, but, but let's be honest. At, at, at Christian funerals, there should be stories like this flowing about your life and my life. As we pursue Jesus Christ. Look what it says in the text. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God isn't just honored by humility, he honors the humble. He honors the humble. I think we get this. But why is it so hard to be humble? I'm not preaching at you right now. I'm talking to me too. Why is it so hard to be humble? Isn't it so cult counterintuitive and countercultural today? Counterintuitive. Our flesh screams pride. Our pride is cropping up. You know those whack-a-mole games at the county fair when you're trying to whack that thing down? You stop for a second and what happens? You lose. The same with our pride. It's always cropping up its ugly head from different angles. The enemy's always trying to get us with our pride. What's the core sin? It's not the love of money. What is it? It's pride. It's like Paul says. He's like, I know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Just can't seem to do it. Pride. Countercultural. What's our culture tell us? You look after yourself and, and you fight for your own rights. Who's your best advocate? You are. So our culture offers up this big plate of pride and says, eat this and you'll be satisfied. And God's looking down going, uh-uh, uh-uh. Take this little humble pill I offer and that's will cure, that is what will cure what ails you and that's what will give you joy and satisfaction. Counterintuitive, countercultural. I think most of us hear a message like this, and you know what we start thinking right away? I know I'm not perfect, but I'm sure better than. <coughs> Isn't it? I got a little ways to go, but oh my goodness, have you seen? Just do a, little, do a little quick test in your own heart this morning and see where you're at with pride and humility. Let's do a little pride test. I came up with these from my own heart, just a little renovation of my own heart. Let's see where we're at with pride this morning. Here's some signs of pride that we need to be aware of as we live out the text here. Number one is this, self-focus. Does this describe any of you? I think and I talk and I tote all about me. I care about others and I care about you, but only if you fit into my agenda and my plans, then we're going to be best buddies. But I'm pretty self-focused. Does that describe anyone here? What about this one entitled Mindset? Oh my goodness, prevalent in our culture. I think, I want, I need, I, 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 I. Always comparing myself to others and thinking that I should have what they have because 
I'm all that. What about this arrogant attitude? Looking down on others. Their opinions, their objectives, their outlooks, their opportunities. Oh, for sure, I might not always be right, but pretty much 95 to 97% of the time, I think I'm bang on. I know the Bible says we need each other, but I think you need me more than I need you. And it would serve you well to adopt the way I view the Bible, to practice the, the faith the way I practice the faith, to raise your kids like I raise my kids. Arrogant attitude. It's getting close to the heart now, isn't it? Remember, I came up with these from my own heart, so I'm not calling you out. I'm calling me out too. What about this one, a judging spirit? Always giving yourself the benefit of the doubt, but suspicious and fault-finding of others. Oh, man, it seems like you're always striking out, but every time I swing the bat, it's like out of the park. This warped view of what's really up and really down. Here's an important one, and we studied this concept through a series we did in our church called The One and Others. But here's an important one we often miss when it comes to pride. It's this one. It's superficial relationships, especially in the church. Son of pride. Like, I want to be connected to the church, but I really don't want to get fully engaged because then people might see that I sin and I suffer and I struggle, and then they're going to think that I'm actually a normal human being. It's going to wreck my image of what I want to portray. So I'm going to dip my toe in the small group community. I'm going to dip my toe in the family of God, but... That's about as far as it goes. Still thinking you're pretty humble? I'm telling you right now, the guy at the front right now preaching is not a humble man. Man, do I want to be humble? Do I ask God, God, give me humility? It's on my top five prayers every day. God, give me wisdom. Give me courage. Give me love. Give me humility, God. Do I need more than anything? but I'm not going to be there till heaven and neither are you, but we ought to strive for it so we can reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. You know what's sad to say as I think about humility and study humility? You know what one of the breeding grounds for humility seems to be today in North America? It's the church. The one place where it ought not to be, it seems to be prevalent. We've got it all figured out, but you guys... Oh my goodness. It's the church. Talk the talk, say the right things. Sometimes just feeds our pride. God gave us a parable of this in Matthew, sorry, in Luke chapter 18. To remind us that we, we can't get into this place as Christians where we have this religious pride going on. Remember that parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector? In church, Pharisees were like the religious people with all the outward adornment, and they could pray really well, and they sounded super spiritual. Tax collectors were like the scum, the nobodies and nobodies. And this picture Jesus paints for us in the parable, they're in church. And the Pharisee's up at the front, and he's like praying loud. He's like, oh, God, how good I am. I can see why you saved me. Thank you that I'm not like all the other people, the uh, scammers and the low lowlifes of the world. 
for I'm good, I pray, and I tithe. You see the text up there? Robbers and evildoers and adulterers. Thank you, God, that I'm not like the tax collector. You know, the tax collector's at the back of the church. He's so aware of his own sinfulness. He's so aware of his, his inadequacies before the Lord. He doesn't even dare take a step past the last row. He's on his face, heavy before the Lord, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Look at who God honors. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, this man, not the Pharisee, not the religious guy, but the one whom no one would think should be in church, this man went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's just calling out for us what the scripture says right here. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God's not interested in our hands up high in worship and saying big biblical things if our hearts aren't humble before him. In fact, it says he opposes the proud. In other words, he stands against the proud. I played football in high school, the smallest quarterback in the history of Canada. <laughs> Remember lining up sometimes in line of scrimmage and be this great big old 300 pounder in high school. How that happened, I have no idea. And they'd be looking at you growling and you just realize that, hey, if we run the one or two hole, it's going to get stuffed. Let's not even call that play. There's no way around them. Well, here's the reality. If we're proud, God's on the other side of that line. There's not even any point in calling a play. We lose. But on the other hand, if we choose to adopt humility and put on humility as the clothes of righteousness, here's what it says. God showers us with grace. Ice bucket challenge, standing there. Remember the ice bucket challenge? God's presence, God's strength, God's mercy covers us and consumes us and soaks us. And so our aim as believers, our aim as believers is to be like the Booker T. Washingtons and the tax collectors. Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. So said John Stott. So the marks of authentic humility are the exact opposite of the marks of pride. This is what we're aiming for, to have clear-sightedness, a 2020 vision. When it comes to a proper view of God and a healthy view of myself and others. God, help me see others like you see them, not through the fleshly eyes, the self-elevating self eyes, but through your eyes. It's considerate of others' opinions and objectives and outlooks. Even when we disagree, we don't walk away going, oh man, they are so unspiritual and messed up. We can disagree and still embrace the other person. It's somebody who listens well and seeks understanding. You want to see a, hear a sure sign of pride? It's a person that talks, 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 talks. Yappity, yappity, yap, yap, yap. Can I speak now? Nope, I'm too important. I have to talk. Humility is the one who is quick to ask questions rather than jump to conclusion. It's the one who wants to know 
who you are rather than assigning motives to you and putting you in a box. It's the one who welcomes feedback. Not just the, your awesome feedback, but the one who gets it. I'm not God anyway, so I can accept the negative feedback and the constructive criticism. I'm all ears because I want to become more like Jesus. That's humility. It's the one content with being second. Who loves to see others succeed and praise others and even okay with playing second fiddle. And even doesn't mind if somebody else gets the credit for something that you did because you know. It's not about you anyways. It's Humility is the one who's slow to judge. Instead of overestimating ourselves and underestimating everyone else, it's the other way around. I'm not talking about being discerning when it comes to sin. I'm talking about giving others the benefit of the doubt. It's the one who puts God first and recognizes that we can do nothing apart from God. I don't bust into church thinking I'm going to nail it today. I come in humble and dependent and and spending time in God's word to be filled and, and calling out to God for help and strength. It's the one who deflects praise and not just the token, to God be the glory but the one who really embraces it and means it in their heart. This is humility. This is what God calls you and I as believers to pursue in our lives. It sounds hard, but it's so right, and it's possible, not in your own strength, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It's possible. This is what God has ordained for our lives as believers. Being a believer doesn't mean that I now stand up here and everyone else is down there. It means that I get low before God and others. John Bunyan reminds us this is the best place to be. He that is down needs fear, no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble shall ever have God to be his guide. When was the last time you prayed for a second helping of humble pie? Give me grace, oh God. Give me love, God. Give me wisdom. Give me courage. When was the last time you prayed for a second helping of humble pie? Make me humble, Lord. Give me the mind and the heart of Jesus. Can you imagine how this would change your home and the church and the community if we lived out humility? This would change our whole lives. Husbands, if you came home thinking humble rather than, man, I'm home now, where's dinner? If you came home and said, honey, how's your day? Can I serve you now? Think of how that would change your marriage. Think of how your arguments in marriage would be non-existent because you'd both be trying to listen and understand rather than be right and power over. Humility is the difference maker in our homes. Kids, think if you were humble for a minute and you listened the first time mom and dad, here's a dad in me, right? You listened the first time mom and dad asked, you didn't argue. You actually realize you don't know everything, even though you're now 13. Think how sibling, sibling rivalries would be non-existent if we just adopted some humility. Think how church would be different if we all came in here Sunday humble. Running to church, why? So everyone can serve me. Uh Uh-uh. Coming to church so I can serve you. 
So I can make a difference in your life. And it's not about my opinions and my agendas and what I want anymore. It's about Jesus Christ and his opinions and his agendas and what he wants. Can you imagine how church would be different if we all came? Looking to adorn ourselves with the humility of Christ? What causes church splits? Pride. It's one thing. It's Satan who uses pride. Man, would that be a testimony to the world? These guys, these guys shouldn't be getting along. They're so diverse. They have nothing in common but Jesus. Wow. Think of how the community would be different if we all adopted humility as Christians. And we went out to not prove everybody wrong and to exert ourselves, but we went out to humbly serve our neighbors and our coworkers and those in our community. Think of the community be different. How many times have you tried to share your faith with somebody? I've been here and get Jesus out of here. Uh, my coworker talks about him and he's the most arrogant, unhelpful man I know, so I'm not even having anything to do with your Jesus. Ever been there? Think of our community be different if we as Christ followers actually try to help our coworkers succeed instead of trying to climb over them. If we actually... Integrated love and care and concern in all that we said and did. We were team players and we pitched in in our communities. And we strive to make a positive contribution to society. You know what I think would happen? I think people would want a little more what we have. Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. But it says in verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves that God might exalt you. Let's forget about humble hashtags in the church and actually live out humility. It's the best way for people to see the glory of Jesus in your life. If you have to walk around saying humble 14 times a day, I think you're really trying to convince yourself and everybody else of something that's probably not true. It's a buzzword in the church. I think we need to drop the buzzword and just start living it. And I think the world would stop and take notice and be compelled to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the world would see Jesus through our lives if we simply adopted one thing, a humble attitude towards each other. Amen? God, help us do this. I'm tired of hearing messages in my own heart and then walking away going, hmm, that was good. God, help us. Live this for the fame and the glory of your son. Let me pray as the worship team comes. Father, you are so, so good to us. Thank you, God, for not just saving us, but thank you for uh, giving us the 
a whole new perspective, a whole new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for your promise to sanctify us, to make us more like your son, Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. Father, I pray this morning this simple reality that you'd help us see clearly the reality of a humble God who sent us a humble Savior, and may that translate into us being just like the one that we serve. God, would you use our lives to glorify yourself? Would you use our lives, not just our words, but our actions, to help the world around us see the fullness of Jesus Christ? God, that's your heart, that's our hearts. We don't want to waste our lives, oh God. We don't want to walk through life with just an intellectual knowledge of who you are and what a Christian should be. We want to experience you, God. We want you to be alive in us and work in us. And God, we can't do this on our own. This isn't a try harder message. This is to get lower. It's a humble submission to you, oh God, to allow you to do in our lives what you've set out to do. And so may it be so, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.